Welcome to the Crater Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss all the JavaScript news that's happened on Crater.io this week. This episode is for Friday, June 3rd, 2016. This episode is brought to you by Modulus.io. They're an easy way to deploy your application no matter the language or framework that you're using. They are great for deploying JavaScript applications using technologies such as Node.js, Meteor.js, Feathers.js, and many other frameworks. They recently updated their build process for Meteor to include uploading the code to a build server. They use a Docker component to create the build and output a consistent application that gets sent to the servos making it more reliable and easier for you to deploy your Meteor application. Check them out, modulus.io. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your Meteor application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. I host crater.io there, so I understand DigitalOcean. Start with a pre-configured one-click launch, such as Node.js, to get it up and running in 55 seconds, or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSD and state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean is the fastest-growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser-focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Use the promo code CRATER10 on the billing page when you sign up for $10 to get started. Welcome, Crater fans. I'm your host, Josh Owens, along with my co-host. I'm Abby Iron. Hey, Abby. How's it going? Good, man. Uh, I took a week break, I guess. Yeah. Some, yeah. I some unfortunate things happened, but, you know, I'm back. So back to business. Yeah. Yeah, I had a crazy week last week, so we just took the week off. So Indeed. people have been waiting for this show, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, really. There's been a lot going on, you know? A lot going on since our last, the last show, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, I got, I got some compliments too. Like everyone enjoyed Lauren stepping in. So let's get to it. This week we are going to talk about why entrepreneurs choose Meteor, which sadly I cannot load that article. And then we are going to talk about React unit testing with Mocha and Enzyme making sense of the mobile development ecosystem and reactivity with Redux and Meteor. What, what is this? Yeah. So there's this article that was found on, uh, created by these guys, like JS Solution Devs. Josh and I still don't know if you guys are just you know, spammers, but you had a really good topic here on why entrepreneurs should choose Meteor. And in the topic, it has like a bunch of um, people who are co-founders or founders at companies that pick Meteor as their software. And they all say the same stuff. They just say like, you know, ease of development and, you know, you can do run one thing everywhere. But this article actually just tells you all the good stuff, you know, or why you should choose it. Like as an entrepreneur, like there's more stuff than like all the, the positives shown in the article, you know. I don't know. It's tough. Like, well, I choose Meteor is a lot harder argument to make these days than, than it was before. Is it though? I don't know. It's tough, right? Because on the one hand, 
Meteor was a hugely opinionated stack, but as with a lot of opinionated stacks, you tend to move towards like offering more choice. And now we're at that yeah. stage where we're offering more choice. You know, it's it's migrating towards npm. Like we didn't we didn't really talk about it, but 1.5. Someone pointed out in the chat room that 1.5. They've been working on it, and they've done a lot more on that branch than I had realized. Yeah. So like it's it's getting closer to the point where all of Meteor will actually be packages on npm. So I think that's a good move, but I guess there's different parts of it, right? And I think if you're an entrepreneur, you want to you wanna get things done quickly. So you have to decide, you know, it, does it make sense to choose something like React or Blaze? And personally, if you're expecting your businesses to succeed to some degree, I would probably choose React. I mean, what are your thoughts there? I would definitely choose React right now. Probably because when you're building a company from the ground up, you want to just try to leverage as much of the community as possible. There's a lot of stuff that you don't want to build. You don't want to build the simple stuff, like especially maybe if you don't have a designer, you don't really want to build like all the buttons yourself, or you, you probably want to use like some material design or bootstrap or something like that. And you don't want to be making like making UI components all over from scratch every single time. You want to be going to npm or some other source and uh, you know installing components and using the, the the ecosystem itself. You know that's an easy decision to make these days because like there's a lot of leverage and you know certain ways for React. But like for people who are building their businesses on the back end or on the server side, you know where the database is actually pretty. You know you want to have an array of data sources, things like that. Like that might be a harder decision to make. You know. So I I try to think about the mindset where I'm an entrepreneur and I'm building something, which I've I've done a couple of times. Like I've built Twitter apps and um, some apps that hook into the Facebook API, and like I can work with those APIs with Meteor. I sense your your answer is going to be like maybe Apollo, <laughs> right? No, I'm not even actually. I'm not even well, maybe, but not, I'm not talking <laughs> about that actually because see, not every business. Let's say like not every software company is going to be like primarily on the web, you know, like uh, they may have APIs on the web, but they may be servicing like offline products or, you know, or like they're like a big bank and they want to have, you know, huge amounts of security in their apps and stuff like that. It's not like on day one, you need all that stuff, but like if that's the nature of your business, that needs to like, like uh, you have to be HIPAA compliant or something, that's the nature of your business, you know, like you might get, you know, roadblocks from certain choices. Meteor has a forks for, other maintained, you know, people are maintaining forks of these compliant versions, but you can't risk your whole business on like some community contributors that are going to like actually, um, you know, keep it up to date. You know, you always run that risk of it like fizzling. Well, I think I you're, you're deciding that it's okay to take on that technical debt of maintaining that project later if it does fizzle out, right? Or yeah. having to switch at that point. But I guess, like, here's the thing. If if someone came to me and said, I'm going to build the next Slack, I would say, number one, like, Meteor is probably a terrible choice for that. It makes me a little sad, right? I think you can get some amount of growth out of it, but it'll be a Twitter situation where later you'll switch the backends and things will grow. But, you know, I, I look at Slack and I wonder, like, how long was Stuart Butterfield and team working on Slack before it blew up to a billion dollar unicorn. Yeah. You know, and, and to me, like 
the fact that you can iterate quickly and build things is helpful. The fact that you can use React, that's not something you'll ever probably ditch on the front end. Like yeah. it's proven to be scalable for someone like Facebook. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't really worry about that component. And so then it becomes like, you know, what does the back end look like? And yeah. it's really interesting. But I think as an entrepreneur, like, you're always going to wear a bunch of other hats and like getting code out the door and in front of people is super important. And that is something that Meteor is good at. So Yeah, I agree with that. That's yeah. for sure. So the next article is by Michael Shillman. He's in the Meteor community. And uh, he has a post called React Unit Testing with Mocha and Enzyme. Now that we have 1.3, we can NPM install a lot of other NPM modules from the greater ecosystem. And you can actually start using Enzyme, which is made by Airbnb, to unit test your React front-end components. And it's really cool because they use this, they use, you know, Mocha. Mocha can be your test driver, which is awesome. So you don't have, you can still use like practical Mocha, or you can even use like NPM, like the NPM module for Mocha. And essentially what you can do is actually shallow render components into a test, right? So if you have some component, let's say it's a to-do item, you know, you want to you want to assert certain things on a component, some piece of UI, because React is just functions, because everything is just a function, you can actually render everything into this, you know, this DOM that is actually just, you know, invisible. It's only visible to the test. And then you can just write a bunch of assertions like you would um, using like Mocha's library called Chai, which is just an assertion library. So you can assert like, oh, I'm going to assert that the, you know, the, the title of my to-do is like, I got to go to the grocery store. Like, you can make assertions like that, which is super cool. That's what this whole blog post is about, is explaining that and getting you started because I think unit testing uh, front-end is going to be a huge thing this year. My pitch is always going to be like, you should be testing. If you're not testing, like, shame on you. <laughs> Yeah. I always, I always try to convince my clients they should be testing as well. So, I, I, I try to practice what I preach when I can convince them there's value there. But like, here's the thing: you can write documentation, and that is a way of giving other developers an idea of what your code intended to do. But yeah. that documentation can easily get out of date. There's no way to verify that the code is doing what you wrote the documentation to do. And instead, to me, tests help convey that message of here's what I intended this component to do in the case of, you know, React unit testing the front end. And so, like, you can think about, like, refactoring becomes a lot easier because yeah. I can understand that Abby wrote this component to, uh, like, handle to-do list items and have, like, checkboxes that should do something. And like, depending on the, you know, the props that are being passed, it should display this way or that way. And so like, we can test all those different pieces. You want to be able to think about like, what are the edge cases here? Like, you know, and you can test all that kind of stuff. And once those tests are written, they're checked in, you can put them into a CI and you can start running that, that CI anytime code's checked in. And if I decide I need to refactor a piece of the application and it touches, let's say, the actual underlying collection and changes what the schema looks like. Maybe I break Abby's component and I didn't realize I broke Abby's component. The test should tell me that, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. UI testing used to be super hard back in back a couple of years ago. Yeah. So no one ever did it. And then like protractor came out, like angular developers started using like 
Protractor and Karma to start writing unit tests because front end libraries got more mature to allow for it. Mm-hmm. But I think React, man, like, using Enzyme is just so easy. Like it's it's like as if you were writing React. Like I re- always remember unit testing front end always seemed like a different like framework, like a different like mindset than what you were actually doing. So it was like, oh, I'm going to use a completely different syntax to test my Angular components than actually writing Angular components. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah. But now it's like, it's the same, it's the same syntax. Oh, it's just JavaScript, right? It's just JavaScript, you know? <laughs> JavaScript, uh, yeah, totally. So nice. that's that one. Yeah, I like this because it's it's definitely like, it's it's talking about React UI testing, which I think is is really, really good. But it also like shows you quickly how to get it done with Meteor now that 1.3 is here as well. So it's not like Meteor specific totally, but there's a nice component to it. Yeah. I did not pick this topic. Abby did, but I did help with the uh, feedback on the, on the post. So. You know, I, I get this question a lot from people like, what should I be using for mobile development? And I know you and I have had this conversation before too. You know, there's, there's the option of like, you could just make HTML5, right? And I think back to, do you remember moon.co? Those guys that made no. the little space game. Oh, that thing, that's, that was, yeah, that's some old times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that was done in HTML5 of Meteor and like it was all reactive and it ran great on the phone, right? And like yeah, I just put it, it up in a browser, didn't have to install anything. Perfect game ran on my phone. So like that, that's the instance of just HTML5. It just works, right? For mobile development. Yeah. And then you start to move into the hybrid apps, which would be Cordova, which is... It's still HTML, JavaScript, CSS, but it's compiled and run in a web view on the phone instead of, you know, running as a native app on the phone. And so because we're in that web view container, we can now start tapping into APIs, like getting the location, which you can still do through HTML5, but we can start to access other parts of the phone that we can't necessarily access Bluetooth. I don't think you can access Bluetooth through just native HTML5. You know, you can build an app that maybe taps into that a little bit more, um, but you're still writing HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And so that's definitely an option. And so, like, number one, you should go read this. This is like a four part article by Brian Rinaldi, who works at Telerik. And I actually, after reading this article, like, we're doing Crater Remote Conf Mobile Edition. And yep. after reading this article, I decided I want to put a panel together to cap off the end of the uh, conference. And so Brian's going to speak. I'm going to speak. I'm going to probably moderate. I'm going to try to find one or two other people to come on and sit on that panel as well. Someone who's like pro native and someone who's maybe like HTML or pro Cordova. And we'll just have a debate about all this as well. Like, you know, kind of going back and forth. I think that'll be. uh, There's just so many camps in the mobile party. Like there's just so many camps. And the thing is, we talk, we're talking about entrepreneurs today. The first thing an entrepreneur needs to think is how, how are they going to have a mobile experience? You know, How are they going to take whatever their idea is and put it on the mobile, right? Yeah. And if you have the talent and you see, like, the thing is, would you want to hire a web developer who can put it on both platforms, Android and iOS, for you in a quick amount, quick amount of time? Or do you want to finesse it? You want to get an Android developer, an iOS developer? So many camps have, like, different opinions on, like, what even the talent wise, what you should do at that level, you know? So, right. And that's, that's what this article talks about. It's like, yeah. it says you got to look at the skill sets of your team. Are you targeting one platform, both platforms? 
I mean, he says both major platforms, but you know, I mean, don't target Windows. <laughs> don't make it up for the Windows phone, you know. <laughs> How essential is performance? Like we talked about, I, I felt like the Moon game worked great. I didn't get any lagginess. Like Canvas worked; it was great. I think it's perfectly fine. I don't think you could go build like maybe Kingdom Rush or something in HTML5 with Canvas. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'd be curious to explore that a little more. How much code do you have that could be reused, right? If you're already building an app in React, can you reuse it? Uh, has it been built in a way that you could reuse some of it as React Native components? Maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions you got to answer here. And I think you're absolutely right. Like, if I look at WorkPop, right, who has, you know, landed millions of dollars in, in funding through its yeah. life cycle... You, you guys are hiring developers to specifically work on both platforms to deliver a native experience. Correct. And I think some of that comes down to like, if I look at a Cordova app and, and maybe this is like my, my meteor bias coming into it, but I think we don't have code splitting. And so I remember being at an early Vanguard meeting with uh, it's Ben, right? Your CTO? Yeah. 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 So I was at an early meeting with Ben. He was talking about like load times and like how big the JavaScript files are for Meteor. And like, you know, loading a two meg JavaScript file is crazy. And, you know, we even uh, were putting out a Space Dojo show probably like Monday or something. And we talked to Jen Looper from, she works with NativeScript. And She's talking about putting out like Angular 2 and NativeScript app. And it was like over two megs for this simple little wind chimes app that just built in HTML5 was way smaller. So you got to consider a lot of these types of things. Like what's that experience going to be like? You know, she, she said in the show, you're really just charging your customers for you to be able to deliver this experience in this way, right? Because exactly, you have right? to pay for that data load over cellular connection. That's, or- why, that's why 1.5 will be a lot more exciting. Because you get to get rid of the build tool mm-hmm. and do your own thing. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, WorkPop is 11 megs. Wow. Big ass app, dude. That's crazy. Uh, 11 megs. And we have to do a lot of stuff to reduce that for our users. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're not very happy, right? But um, we're trying to figure it out. Yeah, I think you're right. Like 1.5 will definitely... So there's like interesting ideas, right? Like you could do code splitting. So you only load the code you need for the page that you're looking at. Yeah. Which will be helpful. But I actually think the thing that'll be even more helpful is like this idea of tree shaking, which I just heard about a couple of weeks ago. And it's just the idea that now that you're importing all, all the things that you're depending on, you can go look and say like, oh, look, they're, they're depending on moment, but they're only bringing in like this piece of moment. And so we only have to like bring in the pieces that are That's cool. needed and rather than bringing in the entire moment library. So yeah. kind of interesting. Cool. Building mobile apps with JavaScript is the way of the future. Like I think yeah. the amount of like ramp that you get by building one platform that works on two environments, like kind of a big deal. Yeah. There's not that much like uh, industry information on it too. So that's why the remote conference will be pretty good. Yeah. I'm excited. 
you know what? I'll, I'll make a code right when we get off the show. But if you guys are listeners, go to conf.crater.io. You should be able to pull up the conference and see what's going on. I, I actually have more speakers. I got to get up there. Uh, I've got yeah. more nailed down. And just use the code crater and uh, you'll get five bucks off the ticket. So I think that'll be something nice for listeners. But uh, I definitely think like to me, looking back, it's all I've done for the last year and a half is build mobile hybrid apps. So I think, uh, I think it's going to be a big deal in the future. And like the the current speakers are pretty good. You know, you got, uh, was it Spencer Carly who's building native, got Newspring, John Pickerton. Yeah. I'm excited about John's talk. Yeah. I think James Baxley as well. So there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot of fun that's about, to, and there's more speakers to come. So it's gonna be great. Yep, definitely. We're gonna be covering the gamut too. I just picked up another game developer who's gonna talk about Cordova. So that's uh, cool. Yeah, we've got two talks. One's on React Native building a game. The other one's React or Cordova and building a game. So. Oh man! All right, guys, check that one out then. <laughs> so tell us about so the, the next story. All right. So the last topic of the day is actually, I wrote this one, um, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to talk about, we're not talking about the actual, the actual posted stuff. We're talking about this concept that Josh and I have been uh, hearing over the last couple of weeks when people say, does it have real-time support? And so my, my article is called uh, Reactivity with Redux and Meteor. And I pretty much explain, like, for Meteor apps that do not have any real-time components, that, you know, picked, picked Meteor because of its, like, other qualities right ease of use and shared uh, code and all that all the jazz that we love we were never in it for the real-time game right so we had to pay the performance cost of real-time this whole two years that we've been using it. and we cut the line and we drew the line in the sand and said we're, we're not going to do real-time stuff anymore we don't need to so i was tasked with how are we going to convert our live query experiences where things are just easy and just always react and all that stuff. How are we going to do that and change that into a reactive experience? And that's when I started thinking, like, what's the difference between real-time and reactive? There's actually a clean difference. Real-time means you're using technology that as soon as something changes, your users get to see the data right away. And without with paying all, whatever cost it takes, they will see the data instantaneously. But reactive is different. Reactive just means that your your system is message. It's like it's message driven. Reactive means that in response to some stimulus, I'm going to update whoever's listening. Right? That doesn't necessarily have to be on the server, like watching queries. Right? Reactive doesn't mean the server. It just means that your system is can scale. You can uh, speak to other parts of the system and update their information all in this, you know, this like message bus or event driven, you know paradigm or pattern of programming. So for Meteor apps, if you can, you, you can use Meteor methods to mutate data, right? But you can also use Meteor methods to return plain JavaScript objects. And that's the best way to make things non-reactive on the server's behalf. Right? Yeah. yeah. And you actually, what you can do, because you know, the front-end community has made stores and GraphQL and all this cool stuff, you can actually use Redux stores to dump that Meteor method data and it can actually just feed the UI as a reactive piece, you know? And I go into how to make optimistic methods, which are kind of just like meteor methods that hit mini Mongo, but they're just optimistic for Redux. And that's the whole thing, like, with this, even with Apollo, everyone's first question is, oh, is it real-time? 
And there's always this question. It's like, you really need to understand that most tools should not be built for real time unless like the major, major people using the tool are building real-time applications, right? Like rethink DB's horizon, I feel is for real-time apps. It's for people who are real-time, who need real-time experiences. That's why they pick them in the first place, you know? Who's going to pick like rethink DB or like horizon if they don't have any real-time features in their application? You pay a lot of cost for no reason. So that was the article. What do you think about all this? I have strong opinions here and I think you're on to something because like, I don't, there's very, 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 very few times I care about real time. Right. Like I look at it and you nailed it head on like Uber. Sure. Absolutely. I want to know when the driver is two blocks down the street so I can walk out my front door. Absolutely. makes sense. You can almost make an argument. I don't care about super real time when it comes to Slack. Like, don't notify me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Like, I do. I do think that needs to be a real time experience. To be to be honest, but but it is like it's another inbox you have to check. But if you think about it, like you go and you look at Twitter, right? And you're okay. Like, there's enough data to consume there that you want it to be reactive every few minutes. You don't yeah. really care that it's every. 30 seconds or every 10 seconds or as it happens that someone hit return, you care about seeing it right away. You know, yeah. there's very, very few instances where you care about that return key being hit and you seeing a reaction to that. I think you're right. Like there's, there's definitely been a cost that's been associated with it. I know like Max Savins posted about this before. Like why is there no easy way to publish some data, but you don't really care about watching it or getting reactive updates from it. And like, we've gotten little tweaks along the way when it comes to Meteor, but I, I think you're right. Like, it's hilarious because I'm, I'm in the Apollo chat room and like every day you see someone come in. So is real time working yet? I, you don't need yeah. time. You don't need real time. I promise. Yeah. I promise. Like, I, I think there's probably 1%, 2% of the population that would actually be building an app that, needs real-time functionality yeah you can get away with user-driven behavior you know if yeah. the user going to expect some data to change in front of their eyes you can be the magician and just say oh i clicked it and it you know it did what you thought it was going to do but it don't necessarily have to pay the cost on the server to do that type of stuff right you know? and you know honestly like is it that bad to, to have a set timeout in the client and let it recall in 30 seconds to see if data change? Like we literally had this conversation with the client and they were trying to decide, like we were having major performance issues, loading like thousands of client records into the front end to get some aggregate data. And it didn't matter. Like it turned out, like I found out later, like they're okay if it was five minutes delayed. And so we just, we run an aggregation query on the back end instead, shove it into the record every five minutes. And because it's reactive, like if you're looking at the page, it'll update. No big deal. Like I could have probably instead just put a set timeout or set interval every five minutes to just call an Apollo endpoint, a GraphQL endpoint or something to just give me like, did any data update, you know? Yeah. And then Apollo did that polling for you so that, you don't, have, you don't have to do all this set time out stuff. So yeah. in the article, I just said like, you know, if you're not going to use Apollo right now or GraphQL or something, then 
Uh, you can take the Meteor Method approach, but I highly recommend getting into Apollo and GraphQL right now for your front ends. In the meantime, you can always use methods and make things happen. You know? Yeah. I may be opinionated that I would rather not wait on return method returns, but I mean, you can use like promise stuff to kind of wrap up your method calls. And There's never always like the silver bullet, but you can at least like make it happen. You know? Yeah. Like you, can, you can figure it out. You know? Yeah, like a, another good example is Crater, right? Like you load that front page and there's 20 stories there and like we're probably paying a pretty heavy, heavy penalty cost in monitoring that data and like there's a low observer reuse. Like I just put a video out about all this, by the way, on yeah. YouTube about like using Kadira to hunt down performance problems. But PubSub, like it's always where you're going to have your performance problems right out of the gate, always. Yeah. Always. Like maybe sometimes methods, but very rarely. Pub sub. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you have high observers, what can you do? (laughs) Yeah. And you know, this, I I don't want to get too far on a rant, but like, I don't know if you knew this, but all publications are blocking by default. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Totally blocking by default. So when you issue a, a request for five publications, it will sit and wait and answer each one in order. That's when, when you go into Kadir and you look at that wait time that it has and it shows you like it was waiting on five subscriptions, that's because those five had to get done before it could answer the next one. And can you unblock them with this dot unblock? You can if you install the Meteor Hacks unblock package. Yeah, yeah, that one. But you can't go in and easily unblock packages that are doing subscriptions for you either. Yeah. So that, that's kind of a problem because like, oh, I just think of all the places in my code right now that I'm waiting on that stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I went in and hacked it and like made it a global unblock, but I really think it should be part of Meteor core because like we're fighting against how node works by blocking and waiting on those. Right. Because there's no reason to wait. Like you fire requests and say, I need some data and then you don't even get a return. Right. You just, you get a subscription handle and yeah, then everything comes back over the WebSocket. So you're not even waiting for a return. Yeah. Two years. Like just unblock, let Node and Fibers do its job. Well, the subscriptions have callback functions. So like, that's why, you know, you can put a callback function in a subscription. So when the subscription returns, you can do like on air or like on whatever, or you can fetch the next subscription. Right. But that's on the client, right? Like there's no reason the client just gets a handle and all that data on air or ready or any of that stuff all comes over the WebSocket. It doesn't, it's not returned immediately from all we get back. But when it is returned, the subscription would then do like some, some callback function where you can do more added functionality. I bet you that's what's blocking this whole thing because it needs to know. I don't think this could all be done differently. This all could be done differently. That's what it's saying. I agree. Like, so I, I look at the Apollo project and wonder, like, is it worth fixing uh, this problem in DDP? I, I don't know. Like, I haven't really heard a clear commitment from yeah. MDG. Like, what does DDP look like in the face of, you know, major pushes for Apollo? Yeah, that's true. I'd love to hear that, but... I don't know. Yeah. Also, what does the Meteor data system look like without using fibers? You know, like uh, well, question. fibers fibers works with Node four and Node six. So yeah, I don't know. Node Node can do its thing. Let it do its thing. Yeah. <laughs> Good show. Yeah. Awesome, man.
All right. So as always, uh, thanks to modulus.io and digitalocean.com as sponsors. They are pretty awesome. They help me keep the, the lights on for this show. Patreon as well, like all the patrons. We've got a couple of new ones. Uh, Vic just joined. Daniel just joined. So that is always super helpful as well. I use that money to uh, well, get new mics, get quality video equipment that you can't see off screen. Have a dog scratching in a cage. <laughs> <laughs> and like I, I have editors and a VA that helps make sure it gets out. And <laughs> I'm still the slow point in the entire process. Like it took me a week to get the last one out. <laughs> but no, I, re- I really appreciate that. So Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Meteor Club. And uh, you can join as well. Everything's appreciated. 10 bucks gets you into the awesome Slack chat. So. We'll see everyone in the Slack chat. Indeed, indeed. All right, man. We'll see you next week. This has been a Space Dojo production. You can find out more information about Space Dojo at spacedojo.com. It's easy to join the mailing list and stay in the loop. That's S-P-A-C-E-D-O-J-O.com.